The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Well, until our fearless leader returns from sabbatical, we're continuing our series through the book of Proverbs. Through the book of Proverbs. Uh, Throughout the summer, we've acknowledged that in our daily lives, you and I are in desperate need of wisdom. Wisdom to make decisions in the midst of all of life's complexities. Wisdom for how to live faithfully as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, uh, then... Uh, our tendency in life has been to not take the Proverbs very seriously. Uh, to not really engage with them. Um, yet, this daily wisdom that you and I know that we both need is what the Proverbs claims to offer. It's what the book claims to offer for the reader that will listen to its words. So today we're going to look at how the book of Proverbs offers wisdom in planning for the future. How the book of Proverbs offers wisdom in planning for the future. Now, uh, at the beginning of a sermon titled, The Wise Planner, uh, I want to remind us that the Proverbs are for all. It offers wisdom for all. It offers wisdom for the we need a plan or I'm going to lose my mind people. And the eh, we'll figure it out people. For all. It's not just written for a certain personality type or Enneagram number. No, it invites us all to come and sit at its feet so that we can flourish as human beings. And When you read the Proverbs, if you go through and read the Proverbs, it's clear that the sages that wrote the Proverbs knew the value of wise planning. Uh, They speak to a reality that I imagine most of us in this room know to be true. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. This proverb teaches that wise planning could lead to success and great benefits for the future. Yeah. While impulsiveness can lead one to a loss. We can think of a variety of examples from life where this would be true, right? So I I don't think I need to spend much time this morning arguing for the benefits of planning or the destructiveness of a life marked solely by impulse, indecision, and apathy. Rather, with the time that we have this morning, I want to ask the question, what does wise planning look like according to the Proverbs? What does wise planning look like according, not to BuzzFeed, but the Proverbs? What do the Proverbs have to say? What does the wise planner understand? All right. So first, 
I believe the Proverbs teach that wise planning acknowledges how easily the human heart can be deluded, naive, or led astray by impure motives. First, I believe the Proverbs teach that wise planning acknowledges how easily the human heart can be deluded, naive, or led astray by impure motives. Proverbs 16 to verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. I don't know if you were here for my last sermon on anger, but in my last sermon on anger, we talked about the important place that motives have in our decision making. Remember, Motives are our core values and commitments. Uh, Motives reveal your heart. Uh, They reveal what you crave, what you trust, what you hate, and what you love. And here, this proverb speaks to the ability that we have to deceive ourselves and be led astray by harmful desires. And this proverb... Uh, interestingly enough, is placed in between two verses that talk about our plans and God's plan. So if we read the proverb in context, this proverb is an invitation to reflect uh, and meditate on our motives in planning. On our motives at the start of our plans. Well, why? Well, because... You and I are very quick to see the faults in other people, right? Um, But we are very slow to see the faults of ourselves. Uh, Jesus knew this well. Many of us are familiar with his words in Matthew 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Recently, there was an Instagram account that blew up called Preachers and Sneakers. You may be familiar with it. Uh, The account was started by someone posting photos of celebrity pastors and revealing in the post how much the sneakers or clothes cost that they were wearing while they were preaching. Uh, Many times... The clothes or the shoes were thousands of dollars. Now, you can imagine all the responses. I know what you're all thinking. Yes, this shirt is $1,000, but I got it from Old Navy on the clearance rack. I feel like I got a good deal. Now, I bring this up uh, not because I want to criticize the account or because I want to attack or defend the pastors that are posted there, but rather because for me it revealed a tendency in my own life to quickly call out someone else's materialism while refusing to look at the materialism in my own life. I'm quick to call out others' motives and slow to investigate my own. Well, you might say, Brad, what the heck does this have to do with planning? Well, whenever you and I start planning, it's because we have a goal that we want to achieve, right? 
But where do these goals come from? These goals that we have ultimately come from our desires. What we want. And so there's a goal, and then we begin planning to achieve it. So, for the Proverbs, wise planning begins with fear of the Lord. Surprise, surprise. A posture of trust and intimacy and vulnerability and humility before God. Um, Coming before God and assessing your motives. What am I planning for? Why? Why do I even want this? Um, What do you think this goal is going to provide for you? Does the goal and the plans to get to the goal glorify Christ? Or is it solely for your kingdom? Or is it to get something that you think will finally satisfy you and make you happy? We may think we're old enough or mature enough in our faith to skip this question, but the Proverbs would caution us otherwise. So at the beginning, whether we're planning for a house, a marriage, children, career, retirement, the wise planner will bring their goals and their plans before God because they want to ensure that they're being done in worship of Him and for His kingdom. Humility. The wise planner begins with humility before God. Humility. Which leads me to my second point. My second point is, I believe the Proverbs reveal and teach that the wise planner seeks counsel from wise people. The wise planner seeks counsel from wise people. I'm not going to pass out, I just have, I'm thirsty, my throat. Wise planner seeks counsel from wise people. We see this throughout the Proverbs, it's everywhere. I'm, I'm just listing a few verses. Um, Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in a season, how good it is. Proverbs 24, Six, for by wise guidance you can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors there is victory. Right? Okay, so all of these proverbs reveal that the wise planner is the humble person who will acknowledge that they not only have to come before God, checking their motives in their planning, but that they will also go before others. And they will seek counsel, but they won't just go before anyone. They will go before wise people. They will surround themselves with wise people. And according to the Proverbs, we can remember that the wise person, ultimately, according to the Proverbs, is the 
person who is wise uh, practically, street smarts, if you will, um, ethically, and theologically. A person who fears the Lord. Um, Now, I think at this tendency, or excuse me, I think at this point, we're going to have a tendency to check out. We're going to say, uh, yeah, of course, we, we know this. Uh, this is something that my teenager needs to hear. Or maybe somebody that's in college. They need to surround themselves with wise guidance and be careful, right, of the influence that others are having. But I, I'm good. I don't need to think about this for my own life. Well, we have to remember the Proverbs offers wisdom to all even the wise. And I think these Proverbs offer a very timely word for us, the church, as we live in the digital age. As we live in the digital age. What do I mean by that? Well, in a Wall Street Journal uh, article titled, How Smartphones Are Hijacking Our Minds, (laughs) Nicholas Carr writes this, We love our phones for good reasons. It's hard to imagine another product that has provided so many useful functions in such a handy form. But while our phones offer convenience and a diversion, they also breed anxiety. I love that a phone just went off in the middle of this quote. Thank you, Lord. They also breed anxiety. Their extraordinary usefulness gives them an unprecedented hold on our attention and vast influence over our thinking and behavior. That's a pretty powerful statement. Their extraordinary usefulness gives them an unprecedented hold on our attention and vast influence over our thinking and behavior. Not only do our phones shape our thoughts in deep and complicated ways, but the effects persist even when we aren't using the devices. One research showed that most people spend between one and four hours on their phone each day, and many far longer. And that research was actually a few years ago, so I imagine it's increased. Um, Over an average lifetime, that can add up to 11 years. Um, Researchers have now coined the term nomophobia, no mobile phobia, to describe the fear of being without mobile phone contact. Many teenagers who are growing up with their phones behind their bed are actually sleeping less. Uh, Research has shown that teenagers, there's been an increase in anxiety and depression. And while there's many factors to that, no doubt, one of it is they're not sleeping. Part of it is because they have their phones right next to them, and there's a constant fear of FOMO. (laughs) If I go to sleep, I'm going to miss out on something, right? Research has shown just having the phone there changes how they're sleeping. It's interesting, right? While I was typing these notes, I looked at my own phone. (laughs) In, In the past seven days, I picked up my phone 600 times, had over 400 notifications, and spent over a full day on screens, over 24 hours. Yikes. 
Now, I'm not saying this to just have us all feel guilty or because we're going to build a bonfire and throw in our phones before we come to the table this morning, you know. That's not what I'm doing here, okay? Um, I simply want us to see that the various screens, whether that's a TV news station that we have on the entire day, or whether that's social media on our phone, are a constant source of advice. They're a constant source of wisdom. Um, It is constantly giving you a vision of the good life. It's constantly giving you a vision of what human flourishing looks like and what you need to flourish as a human being. Enter ad, right? And we need to be mindful and aware as we think about surrounding ourselves with wise counsel and wise advice the amount of time and the effect that our screens can have on us. We just need to be aware of it. We need to think about it. And maybe, maybe we need to set some boundaries. All right? Now, I totally acknowledge that these screens can be a source of wise counsel. These screens can be a source of support and advice. Yes, I acknowledge that these screens can connect us to wise counsel that we wouldn't have otherwise. Yes, it is very powerful good. I think that's what I'm trying to get our attention to is that this is very powerful, right? And so this technology can either shape us in a very powerful positive way or negative way, but we have to be aware of its powerful shaping effect, right? Um, And in the digital age, we need to be aware that our phones or our screens can lead us into isolation. They can lead us into a false sense of community. Why connect through the awkwardness of a small group when I can get a sense of connection on my own terms through my phone? Why show up on a Sunday morning when I can listen to the greatest preachers in the world and my favorite worship band on YouTube all without putting on pants? It, It shades our desire is not just that you would attend Sunday service, but that you would be known. That you would be known and that you would know others deeply. But this is a challenge in our digital age when we feel that we can get a sense of connection through our devices. Sense of connection through our devices. But but we as a community want to surround ourselves with wise counsel. It's what the Proverbs urges us towards. Um, We want to surround ourselves with all different types of people that love Jesus and have a wisdom that comes from following him. But this isn't quick. It's not instantaneous. And part of the effect of living in a digital culture is that we want quick. We want instantaneous. We want 15-second spurts. We want quick relationships, right? And that does not happen in the context of the church. Deep 
relationships, the type of relationships where you can go before people and you can bear out your soul and they can speak to you and you trust them because you know them. Right? Those types of relationships take time and it is hard. But can I tell you this morning, it is worth it. It is worth it. And I believe it is the fulfillment of the vision that Proverbs urges when it says, surround yourself with wise people. Seek wise counsel. That happens within the body of Christ. It happens within the body of Christ. All right. Thirdly, and in my mind, uh, most importantly, I believe that the Proverbs teach that the wise planner knows that their plans are ultimately at the service of God's eternal purposes. The wise planner understands that their plans are ultimately at the service of God's eternal purposes. Let's look at uh, chapter 16, verses 1 and 9 in the Proverbs. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 9. Verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Um, I briefly spoke about this earlier, but these two Proverbs here in chapter 16 uh, that talk about uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility act like bookmarks for a section. All right? And what's clear from this section in these Proverbs and the Scriptures as a whole is that as human beings, you and I are responsible for our actions. We make real decisions that are our own and do direct our future. But at the same time, God is totally sovereign over it all. Humans are totally responsible, and God is totally sovereign. These are two truths that Scripture holds high. And we, it's difficult for us to see how these two things can go together, but the Scripture places them together and holds them up high. Uh, One commentator, when talking about this passage, uh, said this, and I, I thought he said it well. He says, Human beings perform, the Lord performs. They devise, he verifies. They formulate, he validates. They propose, he disposes. They design what they will say and do, but the Lord decrees what will endure and form part of his eternal purposes. Human responsibility, and yet... At the same time, God's sovereignty. Now, 
this passage is so significant for the book of Proverbs. It's so significant for the book of Proverbs. Well, why is that? Well, because often when the book of Proverbs talks, it talks about the connection between certain behaviors and their outcomes. Uh, you do blank, and blank will happen. All right? So the book of Proverbs generally, not always, this, these verses are an exception to the rule, but generally it teaches that wise action results in good outcomes, and foolish behavior results in negative outcomes. Um, but here, this passage has a very important place. It teaches something very important for us. And what is that? Well, the passage reveals to us something about wisdom itself. The passage reveals to us something about wisdom itself, and what's that? It reminds us that you and I cannot put all our trust in our wisdom. We cannot put all our trust in our plans to secure our future. We cannot put all our trust in our plans and our wisdom to secure our future. Here, this passage screams to us the limits of wisdom, the limits of human ability in securing our future. It humbles us, revealing to us that we are not sovereign or in control over what is to come. Even with our planning. Even with our wisdom. It is God who holds the future. Not us. Not us. That is sobering. That is sobering. Um, There's this very enigmatic scene in Terrence Malick's breathtaking film, The Tree of Life, uh, that has sparked much conversation among movie, re- movie reviewers. Blech. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it. I would recommend it. I don't know if it's a date night kind of movie. It's, you know, it's not a chick flick. It's more like a Russian novel. But it's good. All right. Um, much of this movie takes place in the mind and memory of Jack O'Brien, played uh, by Sean Penn, as he reflects upon formative moments from his childhood. It's all these memories from his childhood. Um, And right before uh, the scene that I'm talking about, uh, his family is shocked because one of Jack's brothers has unexpectedly died. Uh, Jack's mother played by Jessica Chastain, is absolutely overcome with grief. And his father, played by Brad Pitt, is stoic, almost kind of lifeless. And it's in the midst of this grief, it's in the midst of this suffering, um, it's in the midst of Jessica Chastain's character looking up to the sky and, and asking, Lord, where are you? That the audience is suddenly taken back to the beginning of time. The audience is taken back to the creation of time and space. It is wild. It doesn't fit in the movie. And for the next 17 minutes 
Malik shows breathtaking images of light breaking into the darkness, galaxies and planetary movements, chemical reactions, bubbling lava, hot geysers, canyons, churning oceans, even life itself. And all the while, these images are coming at us, and there's this operatic music playing in the background. It's super intense, and Jessica Chastain's character's voice, you can hear she's talking to God, and she's saying, did you know? Who are you? Answer me. We cry to you. As a pastor, I love it. So why this scene of suffering, a scene where they lose their child, followed by a 17-minute scene of creation coming into existence? Well, Malik gives us a hint. At the beginning of the movie, it opens with a quote. A quote from Job 38. And in Job 38, God is giving a response to Job's accusation that God is unjust and reckless. And this is God's response to Job. The quote at the beginning of the movie. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who, or who laid its cornerstone? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth. Job questions God just like we do. Because in life, despite our plans or our attempts to live rightly, we all face storms where we say, I didn't think it was going to turn out like this. How could this happen? I was prepared. I was cautious. I took the right steps. I planned so this wouldn't happen. Why, God, I don't understand. Are you just? Are you good? Do you even care? And in chapters 38 and 39, God answers us. Not as we would expect, but by taking us on a tour of the universe. There, he displays his majesty, his glory, his power, his incomprehensibility. And his wisdom. His wisdom in bringing creation together from nothing. His his wisdom in creating and holding creation together. Something that you and I and our minds cannot even begin to grasp. Job didn't get all the answers to his questions. Right? We have a bird's eye view in the book. Job does not. God didn't give him that. Yet, Job is left in a place of humility. He's left in a place of peace for he's seen the greatness of who God is. He's seen his unimaginable wisdom. And he's left in awe. You see, the wise planner ultimately understands that their plans or even their faithful steps of obedience will not ensure that all their dreams come true. 
They know there will be great disappointments, unmet expectations, dreams that are dashed on the rocks, and suffering to come, but it will not surprise them. For they will have a peace because they know that their plans and their life is caught up in something that's larger than them. Their individual plans are superseded by God's eternal purposes in creation. Well, the wise planner being caught up in God's eternal purposes, seeing their plans in light of his eternal plans, then what are God's eternal purposes? What is God's eternal plan? And how can that help you and I deal with so many disappointments that we have in this life? How can that help us deal with the frustration, the, the, the suffering, the, the, the pain, the evil that we see in the world? Well, just yesterday, uh, I was watching a clip on my phone, adding to my screen time, right? Um, and it, it was a clip of an interview of Stephen Colbert, the comedian and late-night TV host, by Anderson Cooper on CNN, primetime. And they were talking about suffering, uh, faith, and humanity. Uh, both Anderson Cooper and Stephen Colbert lost their fathers when they were 10 years old. Uh, Colbert lost his father and two brothers in a plane crash. And I swear, you can go watch the video. Anderson Cooper, as he's interviewing Colbert, who is a devout Catholic, gets choked up as Colbert talks about the gift that his suffering has been in his life. And, and the good that has come from such a horrific evil of losing his father. Cooper gets choked up, and, and Colbert ends the conversation on suffering by saying to Cooper, you know, in, in my tradition, the great gift of the sacrifice of Christ is that God suffers too. That God suffers too. That you're really not alone. Cooper was, was, was saying, you know, I look at the history of the world and I, and I see all these sufferings and then I look at my own life and I say, who am I to, to not have any suffering at all? And it, it takes me to this place of humility. And, and Colbert responds by saying, yes, and in Christianity, God suffers. He is part of the suffering. And we see that in the death of Jesus Christ. We see that in the death of Jesus Christ. We see Good overcome evil. In chapter 16, sandwiched in between these two verses about God's sovereignty and human responsibility, is one more verse I want us to look at. It's verse 4. 
It says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. Now, when verse 4 says that the Lord has made everything for its purpose, I don't believe that this is some fatalistic statement about the wicked. Like, uh, they couldn't do other than evil. No, that, in my mind, is to remove human responsibility from the equation. Right? No, I believe this proverb is pointing to something else. I believe it points to the reality that we worship a sovereign God who works all things, good and evil, for his good purposes. We see this throughout Scripture, but ultimately we see this on the cross of Jesus Christ. Peter Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan In foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Human evil, human rejection, guilt, responsibility, yes. And yet at the same time, God's sovereign purpose is to bring about his greatest act of redemption. In the darkest moment in history where senseless evil shouts, I've won and there's no future for you. God is accomplishing his eternal purposes. So while you and I stand back in awe of the ways of God and sit in humility before his eternal purposes, not being able to fathom the greatness and the complexity of it, nonetheless, the mystery of what God is doing and will one day do has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. When mystery is used in the New Testament, It refers to a revelation of something that was previously hidden, but is now revealed to us. In Ephesians 1 and Colossians 2, the mystery of God's plan is seen through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His glory and His righteous rule is where the future of the world is headed. That's God's eternal purpose. Salvation from evil. Good from evil. Through the humiliation and the elevation of his son. Working the most horrendous evil for his good purposes. His eternal purposes in Jesus Christ. Um, I, w- I work with the youth here at Shades and I, I tell them on a regular basis, that they are going to have storms and cold, dark nights in their future that if they were to know about now, would totally crush them. We have so much fun at youth together. Crush them! Their middle school minds couldn't comprehend it. I want to be real with them. God does not promise them a successful career. He he doesn't promise them a long and happy marriage. He doesn't promise them a long and healthy life. What He does promise is that for His disciples, suffering is coming. And that that they are going to face things that if they knew about now, would crush them. But I also tell them, that by grace through faith in Jesus 
Christ, the evil in this world, the sufferings of this world will not crush you. It will not overcome you. The only thing that it can do is draw you closer to Christ. The only thing that it can do is conform you to his image. That's what Romans 8 says, right? That for for those that love God, he's working all things for good, right? For their good. And what is their good? What is the good of the Christian? It's not a yacht. It's not a house. It's not a, a big 401k. It's becoming like Jesus. And at the end of Romans 8, just in case we were curious, Paul says, there's nothing that's going to separate you from him. Nothing. God works evil and suffering and plans that we did not expect to have happen for our good, to draw us closer to Christ until we see him face to face. You know why? Because his eternal purpose is every knee bowed at the foot of Jesus. Some of us have experienced such great suffering and are going to. Some of us have experienced such grave disappointments in life. You sit back and you say, I did not think my life was going to turn out like this. But Christian, hear this word, that in Jesus Christ, those sufferings one day will be a thing of the past. That you will see him face to face and he will say, behold, I make all things new. That is God's eternal purpose. Amen. Amen.